Twitter's been going. And uh, yeah, thank you guys for coming out. State development combo. I'll be by that door at the end. Okay. I got an idea. Why don't you send the scanner around now? Okay. The little beeps don't bother me, and then we won't have a big log jam again. Is that all right with you guys? Okay. You all know how to do that, and um, you know you can type your number in if if it's not scanning. Um, but usually you guys have figured out how to make the scanner work better than I know by this point in your career. So obviously uh, I'm coming at this from the perspective of a Christian, and in case you're wondering, a Christian who does believe in absolute truth, a Christian who does believe that the Bible speaks truth. Um, and yet I think that with regard to the issue of pluralism, often Christians misunderstand, and I think people who wouldn't call themselves Christian, and I probably assume a lot of y'all are in that category because I've been working at Belmont for a long time, um, so I know that not everybody here is a Christian. I also know that not everybody actually is that familiar with what Christianity is about. And if you're new to Belmont, you may not know that. I remember a couple years ago one of my students was shocked when in one of their religion classes, uh, they were talking about the life of Jesus. And after the class, this uh, girl kind of pulls him aside and said, I know you're kind of into this Christianity thing. Could we get some coffee and you kind of give me like kind of the gist of what this is all about? And so they did. And he started to share with her, you know, okay, here's the basic thing. You know, the Bible says Jesus lived and blah, blah, blah. And then he died and then he rose from the dead. And she stopped and she goes, what? She'd never heard before that Christians believe that Jesus was risen from the dead. So if you're a Christian here at Belmont, you know, don't assume that people understand uh, things that even you might think are pretty basic. But I will tell you, here's, here's where I'm going to go with this today. I think in, in, our, in our world, the issue of pluralism and how to get along with people who have really different ideas about truth is, is uh, a very important one. It's becoming uh, more pressing and I think more important for a lot of people because of um, just the idea that, that sincere belief seems to lead to more conflict, not less. Uh, but what I'm actually going to propose that for Christians, the way to get along with people who believe differently about you is not less Christianity or less fervent belief, but actually a stronger belief in what Christianity actually is all about. Um, and that may surprise some of you because I think um, if you want to follow this outline, you can. I'm going to loosely stick to it. But for, for a, lot of, a, lot of, a lot of people in our world, religious pluralism is a theory that is designed to generate an attitude of tolerance toward all religions. So if you want to know what is religious pluralism, at one level you can say it is true that we live in a world where people believe different things about, really about everything, starting with God or, or the divine or if there's something beyond um, what we can taste, touch, and see. Uh, people believe very differently about that across the world. And so that's a fact. That's a fact. Whether you're a Christian or a Buddhist or you're not sure you know, what you are. I was reading a book recently by a guy who's an editor at Spin Magazine. Um, very fascinating book called Body Piercing Saved My Life. This guy's not a Christian, um, but spent a year or so really seriously investigating the phenomenon of Christian rock and trying to understand that. Uh, if you are a Christian and you're interested in music, you should really read that book. It's very eye-opening. But at one point he says, you know, I'm not a Christian, I'm not a Muslim. In fact, to call myself an atheist would seem like too much of a commitment. And I thought that was really an interesting way to put it, because I meet people like that all the time. So wherever you're coming from, um, it is a fact that there are a variety of different views that people have about the truth. That's a fact, whether you like it or not. Some of you really like that fact. Some of you don't like that fact. Um, traditional understandings of, of religions like Judaism, Islam, and Christianity actually in, you know, are involved in this idea that we have a desire and a duty to spread that religion. And now a lot of people think that's a very uh, threatening idea and want to get rid of that idea uh, because they think that it leads to more conflict. That's not a new idea. Um, a lot of people have been advocating less fervent belief. In other words, this attitude that fundamentalism of any sort is extremely dangerous is a pretty popular notion right, that, right now. But it comes from this fact. There is a fact that people believe differently. And then there is kind of a theory about how can we then get along in a world when we have people who believe differently. And religious pluralism is a theory that is designed to generate an attitude of tolerance toward people who believe differently. Now, I'm going to argue that I, think, I find that as a theory, it falls short, and it doesn't actually produce what it wants to produce. And I think that um, actually Christianity rightly believed um, can generate actually a better, a better way, a better way. 
So that's, um, you know, maybe, maybe to help you a little understand a little bit about what religious pluralism as a, as a theory, as, a, uh, as an approach teaches, uh, an illustration, there's a couple of illustrations that are often used. One is the blind man and the elephant. Um, I think it was, is it Kipling, Rudyard Kipling, maybe some of you guys, philosophy majors might know better than me, but I think it's Rudyard Kipling at least gives a classic expression of this in one of his works. Um, the idea that there's this, um, I even forget now what they call the leaders in India, it's not a king, it's something um, like that, but the, 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 this kind of head guy is talking to, to somebody about how, you know, I basically believe all these different religions um, each have a part of the truth, but none of them sees the whole truth, and to prove his point, he gives this illustration of five blind men of India walking down the road, and they come upon an elephant, and each of them touches a different part of the elephant, and according to what part they've touched, they have a different interpretation of what they've stumbled upon. The one guy runs, of course, into the, into the trunk, and he thinks that they've run into a tree. Another guy, you know, grabs hold of the trunk, and they think they've come upon a python. Another guy, you know, runs smack dab into the side of the elephant and thinks they've hit a wall. And the king uses this story to say, none of these guys see truly. And this is why all religions should have humility in their claims about what is absolute truth, because they're like these five blind men. They each uh, grab hold of a different aspect of the truth, and therefore none of them, none of them, can rule out the others. Does that make sense? Okay, the, another way that this is illustrated is the multiple paths up the mountain. A similar kind of thing. The idea is that there's a mountain, and it's called, the top of the mountain is called different things by different faiths. And, and yet there are different ways up the mountain. Christianity, conceivably one of them. Um, but Buddhism, another one. Um, Shintoism, another one. Different, there's different paths up the mountain, but they're all trying to get to the same peak. And, so, and some people would say, and they all eventually do get to the same peak. They get to the summit. It doesn't really matter what way you use to get there. Okay? That, you get, think you get a feel for what, what religious pluralism is about? That's what it's about. It's this idea that no one religion has a corner of the market on truth. Therefore, none of them should rule out the other ones. None of them should say, my way is true and your way is not true. Uh, and the only kind of people that would make such a claim are actually naive. They're actually naive. They think that they understand everything, but in fact they only understand a part of the truth. And they, those people actually are considered these days especially pretty dangerous because they think that the part of the truth they have is the whole truth. Does that seem fair to, to, to those of you maybe that hold to that position or know people do? I think that's a, I'm trying to be fair as far as what that, what that position is about. Now, I, I think it's, it's even more popular today than it has been in the past for a number of reasons. I think in postmodern culture that we live in, uh, it, it's more popular to be skeptical about truth claims. And, and, you know, if I can give you a little two-minute kind of history of the way in our culture we've thought about truth, there is sort of the tradi traditional way that we apprehend truth. It's believed not just by Christianity but by uh, several different religions that truth is known through revelation. That God, whether he's regarded as Yahweh or, you know, the Judeo-Christian God or Islam, Allah, the, the basic idea of the way you know truth is because that God reveals it to us. That's the traditional understanding. At the time of the Enlightenment, there was a shift in our culture to what's called modernism, which is the idea that you know truth not so much merely by revelation, but at least early in the Enlightenment, um, there was an argument that reason alongside revelation together can apprehend truth, which eventually became, you know, uh, reason, the scientific method, is the only way that you can come to know truth, at least public truth, truth that can be true for all people. Religion can't provide that because different people have different ideas about what is revelation and what isn't. So these people argued at the time of the Enlightenment, and this has carried over really up until the last 30 years, it's pretty much the consensus view among a lot of people in our culture, the way you come to understand what's true publicly is what can be proven scientifically. There are other things that are beliefs, but they, they can't be regarded as true. And so people, the, the Enlightenment eventually produced a guy named Immanuel Kant who argues that there are, there are things that are sort of up here that you can't really know if they're true or not. But there's this kind of world of what he called the, the, the phenomenal world, things that we can measure, that we can examine, that we can taste, touch, and feel. And these things are true. Now, postmodernism comes 
and says there is no public truth, that even the things that science thinks are true and are true for all people, really even that is based on an illusion and based on a preconceived idea about how we even go about thinking about things. You guys are probably too young to be X-Files fans. Any, any X-Files fans? Couple. Are you sort of familiar with what the show was about? It was a show about sort of the X-Files, which are these unexplained phenomenon that supposedly the FBI um, has a whole, you know, kind of area of investigating these sorts of things. Um, and there were two principal agents on the show. There was Fox Mulder and there was Scully. I forget what her name was. Cause anybody? What? Dana. Dana. Yeah, that's right. Thank you, Dana. And um, so they had different ways that they would get at what is true and how do we know it's true because they're always, at least in the early days of the show, they made this, it kind of blurred in the later years, but in the early days of the show, it was really fascinating because they were investigating this idea, how do we know what we know? And for, for Scully, she always wanted to do an autopsy. Not only was she an FBI agent, but she was a, a doctor. And so she would always want to get, you know, the body onto the operating table and do an autopsy believing that that was the way we were going to find out truth, find the scientific method. Mulder, on the other hand, was skeptical that science itself could provide a complete picture of reality. And he was open more to, to unexplained phenomena, to supernatural explanations, to things that didn't fit within the bounds of science. And in the early days of the show, often it just left you hanging. Either, either interpretation seemed plausible. But basically what postmodernism has done is says, look, science has not adequately described all of reality. And this is what, this shift, this make, marks the shift from postmodernism to modernism, or modernism, sorry, to postmodernism, the idea that science no longer can adequately explain all of reality. There's a renewed interest in spirituality, however that's defined. You go to Barnes and Noble and Borders, um, and there's tons and tons of books about spirituality. Everybody would have thought in the 1950s that that was, that was a dying topic of interest. But it's made a huge comeback because more and more we've looked at our world and said, well, science promised that it could figure out not just sort of, you know, um, problems that seem really, quote, unquote, scientific, but even through social engineering and through, you know, these different kind of sociology and psychology and all these kinds of things, we can make our world a better place. But you all have grown up in a generation, I think our culture generally now, is less optimistic about that. We have less optimistic faith in science. And so we're open to, to thinking that maybe there are different ways to understand truth, that science is one of a multitude of stories about reality. But it's not necessarily the only one. And that there is really no story, postmodernism would say, that is true for all peoples. So, you know, we live in a time where there's a growing skepticism about any one story claiming to be the story for all peoples in all times and all places, okay? So one of the reasons I think that religious pluralism is growing in popularity as, as, a, as a, maybe a way that we can get along is because people don't, don't think as much anymore that there is one true story. Uh, so there's a growing, I would say, a growing skepticism about truth in general. It's not just taught in the philosophy classes, but it's in the pop culture at large. It's in the air we breathe. I'm going to talk a little bit in a minute about how it, it, it's not fully satisfying, but that is part of what we live in. The idea that nobody can say what's true for somebody else is pretty much one of the unassumed truths, or it's one of the assumed truths in our culture in a lot of ways. Um, second, I think after 9-11, after the idea of pluralism has, has seemed a more um, urgent issue because uh, one of, there was a rabbi interviewed on one of the Today Show or one of those shows soon after 9-11, and he said, I think what, is, what a lot of people believe in their hearts, that religion drove those planes into those buildings. And that if we had less religion, or at least less fervent belief in religion, then we would have less violence and less conflict in our world. You've probably heard that or maybe believe that yourself. Um, but you hear that in a lot of places, that fundamentalism of whatever stripe is the real problem in our world. And if we could just get rid of fundamentalism, that we would all get along better. So I, I think that's a growing attitude in our culture. And then uh, right along with that, um, you know, it seems that at a time when people are wondering where are we going to find hope to get along, religious pluralism seems to offer that hope. 
religious pluralism proposes a way to, to, have, to live in a world peacefully with people who believe differently about truth. Um, guy I know said, said it this way. Um, religious pluralism says this. The reason religions fight is because they both think they're right and the other is wrong. The only way we can stop fighting is to stop insisting our religious beliefs are more right than someone else's. Admit no one can know which religion is right and accept that all religions lead to God. To have tolerance, you have to give up absolute truth. A lot of people advocating that and believing that in our culture today. If you're a Christian who believes in a, you know, tr traditionally what, what Christians have believed, that's a, that's a hard thing to grab onto because that does not square that does not square with Christianity traditionally defined. It doesn't square with pretty much almost any religion, except maybe Hinduism, as traditionally defined. Okay? But that is becoming a growing popular idea because it seems to be the only hope that we can have in the face of the fact that people believe very differently about things and believe very fervently that they're right and other people are wrong. Okay? So what are we going to say about this? And again, I, I, I don't presume that everybody here is a Christian, but I, you know, the tact I usually take in doing convos is I want to speak from the vantage point of Christian faith. And I want you to, to get a feel for how I, as a Christian, look at this topic, both because I think it will help those who are Christians to understand more thoroughly what, what Christianity teaches, and because I think a lot of people who aren't Christians have probably not heard maybe adequately what Christianity really teaches because they've talked to a lot of Christians who don't know adequately what Christianity teaches about things. Okay? Um, and then I'll have some time for questions here at the end. But here, here's the first thing I would say. There is both a theoretical uh, thing that we have to deal with as Christians to religious pluralism, and there is a personal aspect to this, to this um, issue that we need to deal with. And the theoretical one, now there are lots of, there are lots of barriers to people embracing Christianity. Okay? I'm speaking to the Christians here. Um, there are a lot of barriers in our culture. Things um, that there's a guy up in New York City, a pastor named Tim Keller. He calls them defeater beliefs. These are beliefs that people hold that render even thinking about Christianity ridiculous. Um, it'd be like if I if I came in today and I said, you know, I, before we get started on this whole thing about religious pluralism, I want to tell you about this really interesting experience I had this morning. I woke up, I looked out my back window, and lo and behold, there was a fire-breathing dragon camped outside my back door. Now, I don't think there's anybody in this room that's going to ask me, really, what color was it? You know, did, did it burn up the, 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 you know, the, the, your little boy's fort? No, you're not going to ask me any questions. It's ridiculous. It's not even worth considering. And there are a number of beliefs firmly held in our culture that render me saying, I'm a Christian, and I think you should take that seriously and think about it and consider it. And they say, what? Be an intolerant bigot? Why would I want to consider being a Christian? Every Christian I know is an idiot. Every Christian I know is mean-spirited. There's nobody I know who's a Christian who's actually nice to people who disagree with them. What? what in the world? I wouldn't even consider Christianity. If you're a Christian, you need to understand that's what you're up against. And, you know, there is a theoretical, you can argue the theoretical and say, well, religious pluralism doesn't really make any sense as an attitude. Most people, I don't think, are actually religious pluralists so much because it's a compelling worldview and it's a compelling philosophy but because they've experienced intolerant Christians and they think that Christianity can't possibly help the conflict that our world is in. Therefore, we need to look for something else. So I want to deal with the theoretical reason and show you why religious pluralism really isn't a very, isn't a very robust intellectual theory. But I recognize that even if I can show you why it doesn't make much sense philosophically, that's not really the reason most people find Christianity not compelling, and even less compelling um, these days. But here, here's the theoretical problem. The theoretical problem is that religious pluralism as a theory is self-refuting. What the theory basically says is this, no religion is right. Therefore, nobody should believe anything fervently or believe that they're right, except, of course, what is religious pluralism saying? We're the one religious theory that is right. These illustrations that I told that are designed to say we should all be humble, in fact, are actually really rather, rather conceited. In other words, 
the king who tells the story about the five blind men and the elephant, what is he claiming? He's saying, I'm not blind. Every, every major religion in the world is blind except me. I can see that they've really grabbed a hold of a different part of the elephant. To which the, you have to ask the question, well, how is the king so privileged that he's not blind like everybody else? Why isn't it not true that his theory is just another one of the pieces of the elephant? Again, who has the vantage point to see that all the paths are leading to the same place on the mountain? You have to presume that you're standing on another mountain and that you can look at all these paths and say, well, I can see that they actually all ultimately lead to the same place, even though sincere Buddhists, you know, Muslims, Jews, Christians, um, Hindus, all these people may have been really sincere and they may have thought that they were right, but I can see that they're all wrong and I alone am right. So as a, as a theory, religious pluralism doesn't make any sense. It's saying that the only absolute is that there are no absolutes. But of course, that's an absolute statement. So it doesn't actually make very much sense philosophically. Re religious, and of course, religious pluralism is pretty intolerant of people who reject religious pluralism. And, and this is sort of the whole issue of the politically correct movement. We want to be politically correct and not say things that may make anybody feel uncomfortable or make somebody feel that maybe their view is wrong. So we don't want to say anything like that. But of course, we have no problem telling people who are Christians or Jews or Muslims or other people that have views about truth, we have no problem telling them they're wrong and that the only way they can be right is to give up their belief in absolute truth and believe in the absolute truth that no religion has absolute truth. Does that make sense? Should I, should I pause for a second? Is there somebody says, well, wants to argue with that point or say, I think you're looking at that wrong. I mean, philosophically, religious pluralism doesn't make much sense. And, and it's not something that is, that is paid much serious heed, you know, in your philosophy classes, I wouldn't think. Because um, it, it's, not, it's, not it's not a very robust theory. It's a, co it's, you know, it, um, a guy I know talks about covert absolutists and overt absolutists. Christians, at least traditional Christians, and I would consider myself in that category, I believe in absolute truth, and I believe that there are people who are wrong about it. But I'm not pretending, I'm not pretending about that. There are a lot of people who want to say um, that they believe everybody is, is right, ultimately, but they think that I'm wrong. Remember a few years ago, given a convo, um, and a student got really heated when I, we were talking about this thing, and he said, ever since I was a blankety-blank Baptist when I was six years old, I've never believed that anybody um, was right about you know, religion, and that all religions really um, are equally true. And I said, but you think I'm wrong, don't you? And he said, no, 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 you're just unenlightened. And I said, that's an artful dodge. You think I'm wrong. Say it. Until you admit it, we can't even begin to have an honest conversation. You're at one level saying, well, I think you, you know, you're just as right as me, but of course you don't believe that. You believe that I'm dangerous. And we can't actually converse about our hope for the world or our belief of what is true unless we at least are honest, okay? Everybody, you see, has the problem of being absolutist in what they believe. Everybody. Well, I'll talk about that in a minute. Let me just say something. Practically, there are a couple problems with religious pluralism. Not only is it, you know, theoretically, is it a self-refuting idea. Practically, it leads to some very, I think, undesirable consequences that maybe aren't seen. One is we lose our ability to say anything is really wrong. And at one level, in some situations, that seems like a really good idea. It seems that it's great to not tell anybody they're wrong. But there are situations where you feel the force of how difficult that is. Um, one, one of my favorite quotes was from Trent Reznor, you know, from the band Nine Inch Nails. Rolling Stone uh, did a great issue right at the turn of the century. Um, they basically just collected all these quotes from different people um, on their thoughts about life and religion and truth and faith and all, all kinds of things. Really fascinating. Um, and he was asked in there um, kind of about his belief, and he said this. I've always said, based on my own head, give people the benefit of the doubt. Give them credit to think for themselves. Nobody has the right to say, hey, I'm telling you what you can and cannot see because I know better than you. That's ridiculous. I feel, yeah, empower the individual. 
Then I turn on the news, and you see some new idiot who kills kids in a church, and my argument goes out the window. It's troubling. Now, I appreciate that he has the honesty to say, you know, I'm really committed to this idea. It seems really liberating. But there are some practical problems with it. I can't say that that idiot who shoots kids in a church is wrong. And that's troubling. And I don't know what to do about that. You see, he longs for a place in where we can respect people and empower the individual. And we don't have sort of this tyranny ruling our, our world. And yet, he's beginning to suspect that religious pluralism, that absolute relativism, is not the way to reach that. I think, that's, I think, that's really, I think he's right on about that, actually. Um, another friend of mine who used to do RUF over at Vanderbilt years ago used to put it in a nice short little way. He said, listen, if you believe in relativism, if you believe that all the world religions are equally valid, then what you're saying is it's just as valid to have your in-laws over for dinner as it is to have them for dinner. And there's no difference. Or you, you, how can you speak out against female circumcision? It's part of that culture. How can you even say, I, the only thing I think is an absolute truth is that whatever you believe can't hurt somebody else, shouldn't hurt somebody else. But what if that person's value system is to hurt other people? Right? You can't avoid, you can't avoid being an absolutist. You have some point at which you do believe some things, truly. To, do so, to not do so would make us really not even human. And not only is, is, is we lose our ability to say anything's wrong, um, but we also, I think, are left feeling really empty. And it's really sad to me as a Christian that we live in a world where there are so many people groups whose highest goal is to be tolerated. Because when I read the Bible, the Bible doesn't tell me just to tolerate people. The Bible tells me to love people. And there are a lot of groups who are organizing themselves to try to achieve toleration, tolerance from our society, that's, that makes me deeply sad as a Christian, that they think tolerance is all that they could hope for. And I know where they've gotten that idea. Uh, they've, they've talked to Christians, and they think, well, at least tolerance would be better than what I usually get from them. So I, I think tolerance ultimately leaves you feeling empty. Who gets excited about being tolerated? <laughs> Uh, you know, I, I mean, being a, a pastor to college students, I've been around enough engagements and marriages, and I don't know, it's just different when somebody says, you know, that we're getting married versus so-and-so tolerates me. I, you know, it's, it's just, it's not the same thing. It's not the same thing. Turn, turn the page over if you're following along. Now, I, I said this already, but I'll say it again. It, the fact that, you know, we can say some philosophical things about why religious pluralism doesn't work as a theory, the fact is, that's not really going to convince too many people. It may make them say, like Trent Reznor, it's troubling, but it's still not going to bring them to the point of even considering whether Christianity offers a better solution because they've not seen Christians embody, embody what they hope for, which is a world where people are loved even if they believe differently. And so I think you know, Christians need to be clear on what, what Christianity teaches, but even more importantly, we need to connect the dots between what Christianity really teaches and how we live. Because the fact is, this issue is not just a theoretical one for people in our world. And it's not a theoretical one for us. It's a, it's a profoundly personal and practical one. Um, just to say, I mean, if you're confused about this, Christianity clearly teaches, even a superficial reading of the Bible clearly teaches, if you take it on its own terms, that Christianity believes in absolute truth and that Christianity holds to absolute truth. So let me say a couple little things, little caveats about that. Christianity does not teach that all Christians, or even some Christians, know all truth. And not only that, Christianity does not teach that only Christians know any truth at all. The Bible teaches what is called general revelation and common grace. And if you want to explore that more, you can go to belmont.ruf.org and listen to the convoy I did on pop culture. Because I think I talked about that a lot more there. The idea, the Bible teaches that God speaks not just through his word, but through his creation. And he says things that all people can hear and understand. Not only that, but he gives grace. He gives grace to people who aren't Christians, the Bible says. So much so that somebody who's regarded, you know, probably as one of the supreme religious bigots, John Calvin, 
Um, at one point in his book, The Christian Institutes, which most people have never read, they're just, they know they don't like it, but they've never read it. But he said in there that we need to respect truth wherever we find it. If we don't, then we are, we are doing disservice and disrespect to the Holy Spirit, who is the spirit of truth. And he wrote that in the context of talking about Greek philosophers, saying that we need to recognize truth even where they apprehend it. Even people who don't believe in Jesus, don't believe the Bible, still understand truth, and Christians need to listen to it. That's what John Calvin said. And I, I, I think he's right on about that. Um, so, so here's the thing. Christianity does make absolute truth claims, but as I said before, everybody does. Everybody does. And again, there's the, there's the overt absolutist and there's the um, covert absolutist. But relativism, complete relativism, is an illusion. It doesn't exist. Nobody believes it. Therefore, everybody in this room has to deal with the problem of how are you going to get along with people you disagree with. And pretending that we agree isn't going to help. Pretending that we agree isn't going to help. It actually isn't going to get us beyond anything more than a superficial tolerance in getting along. And I don't know about you, but I have a greater hope for the world than that we just spend the rest of our time on this planet, however long that may be, getting along, tolerating one another. So what do we do? If we're all absolutists, how will we get along? And it's a very serious problem. Um, and what you need to understand is every, every culture, every person in this room has things that they have centered their life around. Maybe it's the idea that I can get along with everybody. And then when you find somebody that just drives you nuts, maybe it's me, then, you, you, you know, what are you going to do then? If, you're, if you've said, you know, what really makes me me, what makes me matter, what makes me helpful part of the human community is that I can get along with everybody, what do you do when you meet somebody that you can't get along with? Or you say, maybe what makes me me is that I work really hard, or I'm really talented, or I'm really kind to everybody. What are you going to do when you can't do that? The fact is, whatever you are looking at to define you, to give you meaning, to give you purpose, whatever you turn to when your life is falling apart for solace and for comfort, Inevitably, that thing that begins to define you also begins to be the thing that you use to look down upon everybody else. And maybe it's just how humble you are. Have you ever met people like that? I'm, I'm so humble you know, that I can look at all you people who aren't humble. Um, or maybe it's people, you know, whatever it is that, you, you, that you're trusting in to make you you, your life center has the potential of making you feel like you're better than everybody else. And Christianity is like that, too. If you are believing that you're a Christian because you are smarter than everybody else, and though you wouldn't really say that publicly, ultimately that's what you believe, that you were smarter or you were more courageous. There's something that made you a Christian that's something you did or something you believe. Of course you're going to look down at other people. But what I want to tell you is that's not what Christianity teaches. Christianity doesn't teach that at all. You know, Christ's answer to the problem of truth and tolerance is that, well, Christianity offers truth without superiority and salvation without superiority. And this is where I want to say that the real issue for Christians, particularly to wrestle with about this, is that it's our lack of fervent belief in what the Bible actually teaches that is making this problem in our world worse. If we believe these two core things about what Christ teaches, it would really help our situation and help our world. Christ offers truth without superiority. Okay, remember there's the path up the mountain. Christianity does not claim that I, as a Christian, am the one who can see all religions are basically wrong or that all religions are basically right. Christianity says there is one who has a vantage point, and he has spoken truthfully to me, but he hasn't spoken exhaustively. Christians believe that the Bible offers truth, but it doesn't offer all truth. I'll give you a verse for that. Deuteronomy 29.29. It was actually John Calvin's favorite verse. A lot of people would be surprised at that. But it's, it says this. Now what has been revealed belongs to us, but what is secret belongs to the Lord. 
The Bible itself distinguishes between the things that God has revealed, which we are to hold on to with every fiber of our being, and yet there are things that God has not revealed to us. So we should always be humble. Christianity says the reason you know anything true is not because you were smarter than somebody else, but because God has revealed truth to you, but he hasn't revealed everything to you. He hasn't given you... So this is a particular preacher disease that I find in myself all the time. To think that because I'm a Christian and I've been trained in understanding the scriptures that I'm an expert about everything else. Now, I do think Christianity speaks into every area of life and speaks truthfully into every area of life. But it doesn't give me, the Bible does not give me exhaustive knowledge about all of life. And therefore, I need to be humble, truly humble, and yet bold at the same time. I do believe that the scriptures speak truthfully about things to tell me that this path doesn't get you to the top of the mountain. And of course, you know, if you actually study very carefully any of the major world religions, you find that their idea of what's at the top of the mountain is so different, it's really ridiculous to say that they're on the same mountain, even. The idea, you know, the, you know, the idea of nirvana or the Buddhist idea that we don't become persons, we just kind of be absorbed into the, into the nothingness, and that's the goal, is very, very different from Christianity. The idea of Christianity is not that you cease to be a person and are just sort of absorbed into the light. It's very different. You remain personal. You remain an individual, worshiping the Lord your God, not just up in a disembodied existence in heaven somewhere, but the new heavens and the new earth come down. And this world is transformed into being what it was always meant to be. Very different conceptions of, of, of the goal. There's very different conceptions of where we came from, very different conceptions of what's wrong with the world. Okay? Um, and Christianity, you know, speaks that the, the, you know, that the Bible, if I'm a Christian, the Bible says this conception of reality is true. But, it, but it's not because I've examined all the other religions and figured them all out. Therefore, I have the vantage point to say, well, I've, I've looked at all these things. I, I, I'm not, it, it's different than the pluralist. It should be. Um, we have truth without superiority. Um, humility because the truth came from God, not from me. It came to me as a gift. That's what Christians believe, or at least should believe. And I put a little thing on there. If you're interested sort of in studying philosophically a little bit about kind of how do we know truth, I will tell you one of the, one of the great myths in our culture is that, and I think among Christians in particular, is that being a Christian gives you absolute certainty. Um, it doesn't. It gives you confidence. It's a different thing. And I listed a couple books you might find helpful. And the second thing is that Christ offers salvation without superiority. The, the, the Buddha's last words, never cease striving, versus Jesus' last words, it is finished, present very different conceptions uh, about salvation and how you attain it or what it is. For Christians, we, we understand or should understand that being a Christian does not mean that you were morally superior to other people. As a matter of fact, God tells his people at one point, I chose you not because you were the greatest of people or the most faithful, but I chose you because you were the smallest of people, the smallest group of people, and you were the most stiff-necked of people. And that's not just an Old Testament theme. In 1 Corinthians chapter 1, at the very end of that chapter, Paul says, God chose the nothings of this world. He chose the nothings. Um, the, being a Christian should never give you an, a reason to pat yourself on the back because you made a good decision or you were more useful to God's kingdom than somebody else. The Bible teaches just the opposite. And um, I, again, I, I think that, that that's a very important thing. I don't think most Christians actually believe that, honestly. I think that that's, you know, most Christians today believe that they're Christians because they were smart enough to make a decision somebody else didn't make. And if you believe that, you're out of accord with the Bible. We can get some coffee and talk about it if you want, because I know that's controversial in this day and age. I think it's pretty clear if you read the Bible that that's what the Bible teaches about why you're a Christian. Um, but it's also, it, it's just, it's, it's so important for understanding how you get along with people, whether you think it's because you did something or you think it's because God came and sought you out and made you alive when you were dead. It's a huge difference. Um, so you can have certainty as a Christian because your salvation is up to Jesus, not you. And you can have humility because your salvation is up to Jesus, not you. That's what Christianity should be bringing to us. And again, of course, the last point, and I'll have some time for questions. Um, 
Jesus himself models and enables a way for Christians to get along with people they don't agree. Jesus, you see, died rather than exclude his first century enemies. As he was on the cross, he says, Father, forgive them. They know not what they do. That's pretty, that's pretty unbelievable. But also, the Bible says that Jesus died rather than exclude his 21st century enemies, namely you. The Bible says in Romans chapter 5 that while we were yet enemies, while we were yet sinners, while we were enemies of God, Christ died for us. So, you know, before you start thinking as a Christian about other people you disagree with, you need to sit in the fact that Jesus died to reconcile you to himself, and he calls you to die to reconcile yourself to other people. Um, Paul says, actually, in the Second Corinthians, in his letter to the Corinthians in Second Corinthians 5, that, God, that Christ is making his appeal through us. Be reconciled to the world. God has not called us to judge the world, Paul actually says in 2 Corinthians. He says, what business is it mine to judge the world? But most Christians, you see, we seem to give the attitude that it's up to us to tell everybody why they're wrong, rather than to proclaim the life and death of Jesus, which offers truth without superiority, salvation without superiority. And honestly, if Christians believed it and lived it, it would go a long way towards um, creating an atmosphere, not just of tolerance, but of love and respect. So, um, that, yeah, that, that's all I want to say, because I want to have some time for, for questions. Thoughts on that? Either you think that's nuts, uh, found that helpful, if so, why, or you want me to clarify something I said? You did all the scanning, all right? So I'm, I'm going to keep you in here five minutes, so we can either just sit here in silence, or you can ask a question. Yeah, hey. Yeah. Yes. Well, yeah, I mean, that's a complicated issue. As a Christian, I don't think that that's right. I don't think that that um, leads to human flourishing. I think that um, Christianity does not teach that we should make converts through compulsion, through force, um, even though Christians have sometimes been confused about that. Um, the scriptures don't support that idea, don't teach that idea. So as a Christian, I look at that and I say, that's a situation that shouldn't exist. Um, then then the, the second question is, well, how are we going to work to end that situation? And that's the point at where Christians can rightfully disagree. Um, there are some who would say, well, we have an obligation to you know, interject into that situation by force. And there are some people who say, no, we shouldn't. We should just pray about it. Or we should send missionaries um, so that, you know, maybe while, and, and a lot of Christians, you know, understand, have lived in that kind of situation. That's not a new problem. And a lot of Christians have said, um, while externally I may be um, under tyranny, inwardly I'm free. Uh, that was something that, you know, people like Martin Luther and folks at the time of the Reformation said, don't confuse, you know, political liberty with true liberty. That true liberty is deeper than that. I mean, the Apostle Paul um, you know, who was, well, anyway, I, I could go, go on. The, the Bible's idea of liberty is different and says that even while you're a slave, you can still have freedom. Again, we don't, we don't, we should not say that that external slavery is a good thing and therefore we don't work to end it. But we also understand that there's a liberty of, a liberty of, of conscience that is deeper than just an external freedom. In other words, I look at our culture today, even here, and I say, well, we have a lot of external freedoms, but in a lot of ways we don't have true freedom, true liberty, uh, at least the way the Bible understands it, liberty to be who we were made to be. I find a lot of people who are enslaved to all kinds of things, even though they have external liberty. So I would just want to say as a Christian, the issue of freedom and liberty, both of those terms get redefined by Christianity. Um, so it's a complicated topic. Yeah, Hi. Yeah. Well, I'm saying, I'm saying. 
Yeah, yeah, I don't, I don't believe that. I don't think that that's, um, and, and, and it's pretty obvious there are people that convert all over the place. So your social situation is not the sole determining factor of what you believe. It certainly has an influence, without a doubt. Right. Well, it depends on what part, I guess, right? Um, I went to seminary with a couple, a couple friends from India. So, I mean, it's, it depends. Um, and it's interesting, a lot of people don't know, you know, the, you know part of the, the United Nations Human Rights Declaration um, advocates the ability and the freedom to change religions and change religious beliefs as a fundamental human right. Um, so they don't, you know, even regard where you were born as being the deterring factor and remaining the deterring factor. There are, um, no, so I, I believe that I, what I said is that all people have absolute beliefs. That's inevitable. So um, the question is, um, you know, is one of them right and the other's wrong? I think my understanding of Christianity is not perfect. But I think that Christianity is true, and it's true, the Bible is true in all that it, it, that it teaches, even if I don't fully grab hold of all of it or believe all of it. I believe that I'm a flawed, weak person um, trying to grab hold of a religion that is true. Um, and I do believe, again, that there are aspects of truth in all those religions, uh, but I don't believe, because I believe the Bible is true, I don't believe that they're salvific, if that makes sense. So, uh, you know, we, I, I do believe that there's lots of absolute truth. I think every person has their own absolute version of the truth. Um, when I sometimes describe myself as a Reformed Christian, what that means is taking up kind of a cry of the Reformation that I'm, I'm seeking to be Reformed according to the standard of what truth is, and that's an ongoing need. It's not like once I adopt Christianity, then I'm right about everything. I don't believe that at all. Um, and I believe that, there, that Christianity itself compels me to believe that there are truths that other people hold to, even if they don't hold to Christianity. Is, that, is there a follow-up that you want to? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, no, not, no, no. I think Christ justifies true belief, but I don't think Christians have justified true belief. But I think the way I understand it is, you know, the reason I'm a Christian is because God took the, the good evidences for Christianity and made them convincing to me by his grace and by his power, not because I figured them all out. And I would say in spite of some of the contrary evidence, which is, you know, Christians, without a doubt. But I think the same is true of every religion, including secularism, that there are plenty of reasons to doubt the, the truth of, of all the major religions from their adherents. Um, I think that you have to go beyond that in trying to understand what are the ideals proposed and what is their understanding of, you know, where we came from, what we're here for, um, what's, what's wrong with this world. And I find Something C.S. Lewis said I find helpful. Said I, he said, I believe in Christianity like I believe in the sun, not just because I see it, but because by it I see everything else. My understanding of Christianity helps me explain why Christians aren't very good at, you know, evidences for Christianity. And so it, 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 it makes me keep going down that path, right? Um, it seems to open up a vantage point that gives me more understanding of the world and of how it fits together. Now, I'm actually going to do a convo next week from, uh, I think, over in uh, Wright-Maddox um, on, you know, kind of here's my spiel. What is Christianity and what makes it distinctive? I think it's a series. Like, they're going to have somebody do something on Buddhism and some of the other different world religions. I'm going to talk about Christianity. So I'll get a chance to explain more fully what I mean there. But no, I think Christian, Christians are often one of the greatest objections to Christianity. Um, and what I'm trying to say is that if Christians believe what the Bible said, it would help to work against that. And I think most, you know, most, most Christians would say the evidences you would bring up that Christianity isn't true is because Christianity wasn't, wasn't followed, not because it was followed, at least according to the Bible. But that, you know, I'm going to let people out here in a minute. Yeah, last question. Right, yeah. That's a great question. Did you guys hear it? The question of if God is responsible for belief, how can we send people to hell? Which is the question. <coughs> it's kind of a, a whole other convo in a, at one level of what about the problem not just of exclusive, you know, intolerant Christians, but this seems to say God himself is intolerant, and how do we deal with that? Um, all I can say is this at this, at this point. Um, G.K. Chesterton, I don't know if you've ever heard of him. He was a, a witty, witty writer, Christian guy 
who said one time, you know, when I read some critics of Christianity, they say I'm not a Christian because Christianity makes people too lamb-like. And, you know, that, and, and it makes people too peace-loving and they don't fight for truth and justice. And then you read other people who don't like Christianity because it makes people too warlike. Read some people who say, I don't want to be a Christian because Christianity makes them not, you know, afraid to say anybody's wrong. And then I read other people, I don't want to be a Christian because they say everybody doesn't believe like them is going to hell. Um, and he said at some point he began to wonder if it wasn't a situation where the critics are each responding to Christianity based on something that's out of kilter with themselves. In other words, even the way that question gets raised, from a Christian vantage point, the real question is, why does anybody not go to hell? And the fact is that we think, well, God has no right to send anybody to hell, so therefore, why does he do that? That doesn't make any sense. I can't believe in him. The fact is, if, at least what Christianity says, if we believed in the holiness of God, the way the scriptures reveal it, we would ask that question very differently. That doesn't mean that it's not a difficult question. And my, I guess the best short answer I give to it is that Jesus stands over Jerusalem and says, how I longed to gather you under my wings, but you were unwilling. And he weeps over Jerusalem. Whereas Buddha looks at the world always smiling. I can't look at the world and smile as a Christian. I have to look at the world and weep, even though I don't understand why God would reveal himself to some and not others. The appropriate response, and you see it mentioned by Paul in Romans chapter 9 and 10 and 11, weeping over his fellow countrymen who he wished would come into faith. You see it with Moses saying, God, blot me out of the book of life if you will forgive your people. You see it with Jesus. So while that is a great mystery and attention for me, I think the question is asked differently from within Christian faith. And it's, it's a hard one, I think, to, under, to try to explain in a satisfying way Except I would say there are huge implications if we don't believe in hell. Do you think that Hitler suffered justice? Or do you need more justice? Is, it, is, it, is, it, is, the, is the cosmic justice satisfied with a guy who's responsible for the death of millions, merely putting a bullet to his head and ending it? See, I, I think that, that in some ways there, there needs to be a hell to make sense of the world we live in. Um, but again, that's a, probably a whole nother, a whole nother convo. Um, Christianity, I, I, listen, I don't believe in Christianity because I invented it and I like everything it says. Um, there are things that I, I wish I could change, but I don't think that that's appropriate response to Revelation. So I'll have to leave it there, and um, maybe we'll do a convo on hell. That would be fun. <laughs> See you guys. <laughs>